John 15 is, in my mind, one of the most critical teachings as it relates to uh, living in a culture of prayer, as it relates to the people of God being a house of prayer, which is what Jesus declared his people would be, his church would be, a house of prayer for all nations. And so John 15, uh, Jesus lays out just the, the foundational thoughts on how we are to live as a house of prayer and how we are to, to do things like praying without ceasing. John 15 is one of the most, I think, critical foundational chapters as it relates to these thoughts. And so we're going through it nice and slow to, to shift things that have been in our paradigms that maybe haven't been exactly what the Word says. And I was thinking about it this week and just, just again coming back to this point that I believe we've got a little bit of a paradigm problem. It's probably more than a little bit, but we, we, I believe we've got a paradigm problem in, in terms of our mentality and how we approach uh, being a Christian, living as a Christian, living in Christ. And uh, one of the things I just thought about is how when you get a new believer, what we'll teach them to do is have a quiet time. And uh, I am not against quiet times. I'm all for quiet times. I think everybody should have multiple quiet times all the time. I mean, just always stealing away, uh, you know, moments and hours with the Lord of, of loving and focused devotion. I am all for that. However, that is the bonus. Uh, and what Jesus taught as the main and plain is something called abiding. And so oftentimes what we do is we'll teach a new believer uh, to have a quiet time and we've uh, totally neglected to teach them to abide. But Jesus teaches abiding as the primary way that we're to connect with the Lord. In fact, he puts much weight on the issue of abiding. And we're going to go through some verses this morning that you're going to see how incredibly important this issue of abiding is. We talked about it last week and, and stress some importance, but he even, he even ups the stakes in these next few verses. And, and so uh, we've just got a little bit of a paradigm problem. We need a paradigm shift over these issues. And that's kind of what I've been hitting this, this last month as we've been pounding away, talking about a culture of prayer, hopefully shifting paradigms. And I just want to say this, and, and I want to say it tenderly because I'm, I'm, I'm saying it to me too. But as we get revealed truth, we know this, but we've, we've, got to, we've got to come back to this point. As we get revealed truth, revealed truth doesn't do us any good unless it actually becomes the practice of our lives. Amen. Values that are on paper but not practice are not values. They're just good ideas. And, and so for a cultural shift, it's got to move beyond just belief and attitudes, and it's actually got to change behaviors. Behaviors have to change. And I want to uh, stress that point that uh, the behaviors of our life, the way that we walk out our relationship with the Lord, these things have got to begin to transition as we get truth over certain issues, especially this issue of abiding. And so uh, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that in detail today. We mentioned last week that this term abiding uh, Jesus stresses it multiple times in just a handful of verses, and it just simply means stay. He asks us to stay. He goes, I'm in you, and you abide in me. Stay in me. And, uh, and so we talked last week about what it means to be in him, and, and that's a colossal kind of idea that we're actually in him. We're carried in him. And he's in us. Those are huge thoughts that require much, much meditation. But I was thinking about it. You know, in him, it's, it's the place you are. It's something you are. You are in him. But abiding is something you're called to do. In him is where you are right now. You are in him by the blood of Jesus. He's placed you in him. He's transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you in Jesus. But abiding in him is what you're called to do. And there's this uh, 
interesting play between the two in John 15 where he says, this is where you are, I and you, you and me, now abide there. So he gives us a bit of responsibility. He says, I want you to stay. I want you to stay, remain, remain with me. And so staying or remaining with him all day, every day, forever, that's normal. Staying with Jesus all day, every day, for the rest of your days is normal. That's what he's called us to do. Abide in me and I in you. And so that's eternal life. John 17, because this is eternal life, that they would know you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ. They would know you. They would abide in us. Eternal life starts now, and then it goes forever and ever, but it's now that we're in Him. It's now that we can abide. It's now that we fellowship. It's now, beloved. We step into eternal life now. We get it, uh, if I can say it this way, in part and then in fullness. But there's so many of the uh, facets of eternal life that we can enter into now, and part of that reality is being in Him, being in Jesus. And that reality requires a bit of consideration. All right, so let's take a look then at these verses. And I'm just going to, I want to take us through here. And I want to just, I want to go slow as I can. I don't want to bog you down with minute details. Sometimes I just, I just get in there and I go, whoa, look at that thought. Oh, look at that thought. Oh, look at that thought. And then I've got a bunch of thoughts and I don't have much to say about them except for they're very cool. And, uh... So I don't want to just give you every cool thought. Hopefully I can build some stuff here. But let's go ahead and read from John 15, verse 5 to verse 9. And I will just say this, cutting it off at verse 9 doesn't do any justice to the text because it should just be continued. You just should read it continuously, at least at verse 13. But then we might be five weeks just on John 15, and that wouldn't be the point. Okay. Verse 5, here we go. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, let's come back to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Right here at verse 5, Jesus is restating a few of the thoughts from the previous four verses. He's kind of summarizing. And then he's adding additional ideas. A couple little additional ideas. He's bringing clarity. It's uh, interesting because if you look at verse 5 with verse 1, verse 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And so the focus in verse 1 through verse 4 is Jesus and the father primarily. Whereas the focus shifts in verse 5 to Jesus and us. You see that? First he says, I am the, vi- I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And he talks about how the, the branches are pruned by the father and the different things that the father does. Well, verse 5, he begins to then transition the focus to Jesus as the vine and us as the branches. And it's interesting, but in those uh, First four verses, this is the first time he actually just says it explicitly. You are the branches. You're the branches that I'm talking about. He's he's kind in his teaching because he goes, I know you guys are a little dull sometimes. If you didn't get it before, I want to help you get it now. You're the branches. I like that because it makes it easy for people that are slow like me. And I go, ooh, okay, I'm clear now. If there was, maybe I thought somebody else was the branch, but now it's me. Okay, I get it. I am the branch that he's talking about. He is the vine. We are the branches. And then he says this again. He who abides in me and I in him. We spent a lot of time on that last week. I won't go back into those thoughts. He who stays in me or remains in me and I stay and remain in him. He says this little phrase. He bears much fruit. 
bears much fruit. And this little thought is an awesome thought. And here's why. There is a promise of a fruitful life in the kingdom for every person. Every individual has the promise of fruitfulness. In fact, not just minor fruitfulness, mega, much fruitfulness. Every person in the kingdom of God has the promise from Jesus that you can be a a very fruitful person. I love this. Because here's how we tend to think. We tend to think the person with the giftings, the person with the money, the person with the socioeconomic cultural status, the person with this, that, and the other benefit in a human natural way, that person has got one step up on everyone else. But I'm telling you, it's not about any of the natural issues. It's about this issue, abiding. Every individual is promised, if you abide, you will bear a lot of fruit. Oh, man. Man. You mean you don't have to be six foot two, ripped and strong and awesome? No, because I'll never qualify. I mean, you don't have to be like, you know, full of gifts and, you know, have all these cool things going for you. You don't have to have that. No. So, so you don't have to have like a six-figure income and, and all these different things. No. You don't have to be this certain, you know, uh, cultural class or socioeconomic class. You don't have to have those things going for you. No. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what's in your past. Oh, I love the kingdom. (laughs) I love it. He'll take a murderer and make him fruitful. Just ask the Apostle Paul. It doesn't, none of this, none of the externals matter. And I think so often we count ourselves out. We put ourselves in a box. We look at our life circumstances. We say, well, here's me. Here's where I've been. Here's what I've done. This is my, you know, my lineage, my heritage, my whatever, whatever. This is. And we go, see, I could only ever blah, blah, blah. And that's all it is. It's a bunch of blah, blah, blah. Because Jesus says this. If You abide in me, you will bear much fruit, period. Oh, beloved, don't disqualify yourself anymore. It's not about you. It's not about you. If you need a, here's the point, if you need a picture, think of it this way. If you want a healthy branch that's bearing lots of fruit, The key, and this is what what Jesus is saying, the key to having that healthy branch with tons of fruit on it is connect it to a healthy vine. The healthy vine is the life-giving source that enables a branch to be healthy and (laughs) life-giving. All you need It's not any natural circumstances or personal effects or some kind of social change. All you need is is to stay connected to the healthy vine. He is the healthiest vine there is. And if you will stay connected, if you will stay abiding, you will receive of that life-giving flow from the true vine, the one who has life and light in himself. That life and that light will flow into you. And guess what will happen? Fruit will come out of you. The issue isn't anything you can accomplish or do or your giftings or your whatever, whatever. The issue is abide. We got this thing kind of messed up. We think if you just do these 10 things and these, highly, these habits are highly effective and successful and da 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 da. No! Do one thing stay connected to the healthy vine. 
stay connected to the healthy vine, you'll be a healthy branch. A very healthy branch is what he says. Much fruit. Think about that. Much fruit. Much fruit. Somebody says, well, I, you know, I really want to see God do more stuff through me. And, you know, I, I, I really want to do more for the kingdom. You want fruit? You want much fruit? Abide. It's the backwards, upside-down kingdom. It is not what we think. We imagine, well, if I want to get more stuff done, i got to do more, i got to work harder, i got to try harder, da 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 I tell you, if you abide more, more fruit will be produced through you. More fruit will be produced through you if you will abide. That is the key, beloved. That is the key. And it's for everyone. It's the most tender thought to me that the dream of God for every person regardless of where they're born on the earth, regardless of gender, regardless of any natural giftings, the dream of God for them is that they would be flowing with life, healthy and fruitful. That's your dream that God has for you, that you would flow with life and be fruitful, bearing much fruit. If you have counted yourself out, if you have said, okay, I'm, I can only do these things, you really, you need to repent of that. You need to shift that mentality. You need to say, you know what? Stuff like all things are possible to them that believes. Because he can bring fruit out of you that you never dreamt. Because it's not about the life source and the gifting that's in you. It's about the life source and the gifting that's in him. Oh, beloved, this is such a tender idea. He wants you to be fruitful, real fruitful, super fruitful, abundantly fruitful, lots of fruit. I don't know if that's clear or not. He wants much fruit, (laughs) tons of it, whole bunches from everybody. He's not standing there tapping his foot going, where's the fruit, where's the fruit? What he's saying is, stay with me and the fruit will come. Stay in me and the fruit will come. Stay flowing in me and life will go into you and fruit will come. Fruit will come. Fruit will come if you'll abide. Now somebody might accuse me of saying, well, you don't believe in in doing anything, brother. You don't believe in working, brother. No, I believe in grace. And I believe in what Paul said about grace. By grace, I am what I am. And it's the grace of God in me that's enabled me to work harder than everyone else. No, I believe in work. But I don't believe in work born in the flesh. Come on. I don't believe in strategies or plans that come from human thinking. I don't believe in, you know, structures and, and ideas that come out of, you know, well, we got to do something, so let's just make something happen. I don't believe in any of that. I believe in this. Wait on the Lord, and he will release strength into you. Man, that's what we need. Abide. Abide. Stay, remain. Everyone can be very fruitful. And here's the point. In this verse, he gives us two contrasting thoughts. The first one is, everyone can be very fruitful. Everyone, everyone can be very fruitful. And the second is that everyone is completely incapable Without him. Everyone. You see, he's leveling the playing field for everybody. We, we always tend to think certain people are more gifted, more this, more that, better than us. Therefore, they've got a better chance. It's not what he said. I know the way that we assess things by the natural eye. It's not how he assesses. He says, in me, you'll bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And this is the point that we emphasized last week, and it's just simply this. There were going to be many who have lived lives building structures, doing things, and and, and what they've done and built will be born out of human mentalities. And I tell you, the Lord will assess those things by fire at the judgment seat. 
And there will be ones that will stand before the Lord with a life of accomplishments, quote-unquote, human accomplishments, things that men were in awe of. The Whoa, look, did you see all that that guy did? He was a billionaire, or he did this, or he did that. Whoa, look at all those accomplishments. And the Lord will go, oh, that was a beautiful little skyscraper. Let's see what happens when we put fire to that skyscraper of wood, hay, and stubble. It doesn't matter how big and grandiose the thing is in man's eyes without Jesus. And the point he's making is without abiding in me, nothing of value comes out. Nothing. It's all to be born out of abiding in the vine. Fruit that remains is fruit that comes from abiding in the vine. Many people will assess their life and will think, well, they got a lot of fruit. But I tell you, if that fruit hasn't been born out of, abide, out of abiding in the vine, that fruit is wood, hay, and stubble and will burn. doesn't matter how grand the accomplishments are if it's not gold, silver, precious stones, and jewels. And those things come from abiding. So what if it's huge? That just means it's going to make more ash. (laughs) Man, I'm preaching good. (laughs) Golly. Okay. We're all incapable without him, guys. We're all incapable without him. Without me, you can do nothing. I love that because that brings us to the first value of the kingdom of God in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit equals I can't do anything. I have nothing. I am nothing without you, Jesus. Every day, That is our status in the kingdom of God. Without him, we can do nothing. Somehow we've imagined that we grow up out of that. You know, you kind of get saved, you start serving the Lord, you kind of get in the word, you got a little prayer life, you know a few scriptures, you know your life is stabilized now, you know maybe you came out of a really rough background and now you're stable, you know you don't cuss, you don't go to R-rated movies, you know you pay your taxes, pay your tithes, you look good. You're still poor in spirit. You still have nothing without him. You don't graduate from poor in spirit. Sometimes we imagine that poor in spirit is the starting gate and we sort of grow to rich in spirit. No, I tell you, you are just as poor in spirit 50 years in the kingdom as you were day one in the kingdom as you were 20 years prior to being in the kingdom. Poor in spirit is not something you graduate from. Poor in spirit is a value that we live out every day. And that's why Jesus stared in the eyes of his disciples who had been walking with him for three and a half years, who he was going to base the whole church on. He's going to plant all of Christianity on these 12 men. He goes, you can't do anything without me. You'll always be in this status. Listen. You don't have to answer to me and what I'm saying. You're going to have to answer to the Lord on these points. Without him, we can do nothing. We don't produce anything of value. We are poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked without him. This is where we live. And this, beloved, is our day in and day out, every day. So it's, it, here's how it, how it works then. We go, okay, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he goes, yes, if you'll stay there, theirs is the kingdom. He goes, the, the idea is, if you'll just live day in and day out, wake up every morning, Lord, I need you today. You'll enter. You'll enter. You'll enter the fruitfulness of the kingdom. Because that's what that phrase, without me you can do nothing, that's where it takes us. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. It's like one of my favorite prayers. Sometimes in prayer I'll just say that over and over. Jesus, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, Lord, I need you. And then when it begins to move from just something I'm saying to real reality, I'm going, oh, no, God, I, I, I need you, God. Oh, look at this situation. I need you. He goes, I'm here. I'm here. 
Realize you need me. Realize how much you need me. See, we don't need Jesus just as a little salt on our life to sort of, you know, spice it up a little bit. We need Jesus to breathe. (laughs) We, We need Jesus to move, to live. We need Jesus to do anything. Without me, you can do nothing. And so we go, I need you. I need you. And if we will allow that thing, that truth, the I need you, Jesus, the poor in spirit, that without me you can do nothing, if we can, if we'll allow that to really simmer in our soul, that will set the table for a culture of prayer and for abiding in the presence of the Lord. Because you won't get into this arrogant mindset and say, I'm going to do a few things for God. I, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do some stuff for God and he'll like what I'm doing for him. No, no, we need him. We need to walk with him day in, day out. Without me, you can do nothing. Go, oh, let, you got to let that thing sit on your soul. You got to let that truth just, just weigh on you. Go, oh, I got nothing without you, don't I? I got nothing. Oh, you're huge. I'm not. You're uncreated. I'm created. You're amazing, and I'm, oh. I need you. Without you, I can't do anything. Sometimes we live bound in the thing thinking that we can do something for God without God. We live so much time spending energy, expending all this emotion and energy trying to, to do stuff for God, having never been at the, I need you. Because I can't do anything without you. Place. It's critical. And it sets, it's the foundational place. If you don't think you need him, you won't pray. You won't. If you don't think you need God, you won't pray. You'll just go do stuff. Just go do things. Just do a bunch of life stuff. Good things. Things that people probably will go, wow, that's pretty good. But I'm telling you, if it's not born out of abiding, it's got no value. Is this tweaking you? (laughs) Are you just chewing on it? Are you trying to look at me like a dog in a new sound? It's hard for us to believe that we could actually do stuff that doesn't have any value. Because without me, it's nothing. You don't bear any fruit without abiding in me. The I need you, the I need you is what escorts you into prayer. Prayerlessness is a sign that you don't think you need the Lord. I'm speaking to believers. Prayerlessness is a sign that you don't think you need the Lord. The I need you is what, it sets the table for a lifestyle of prayer, a culture of prayer. Okay, let's move forward. Verse 6. Now, verse 6 is the contrasting verse to verse 2. If, here's where he goes. He goes, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Now, you'll read it. And if you read commentators, commentaries, you'll see in verse 2 they say, they'll, they'll interpret verse 2 almost the exact same way they interpret verse 6. And we just touched on this last week. And in verse 2, when he says, if any branch does not, he goes, any branch in me, that's, that's a critical uh, thought. It's in him. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And that phrase takes away means lifts up. So Jesus in verse 2 says, every branch that's in me that doesn't bear fruit, he lifts it up. In other words, just like a gardener or a, a, you know, a horticulture specialist would take a branch that wasn't getting the right sunlight or the right nutrients and kind of put it on a stick and, and lift it up so it could get tended to. He goes, that's what my father, the vine dresser, does. He actually lifts up the unfruitful branch. He tends to it in a special way so it will be fruitful. But verse 6 is a completely different idea. Verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out. 
cast out. I looked that up. It means cast out. It's, I mean, it's, you can't get around it. He is removed as a branch. That's what it says, cast out as a branch. In other words, the branch that rejects the message of abiding all day, every day, I need you, Jesus. The branch that says, I don't need to abide. He goes, that branch will wither up and it will be cast out as a branch. No longer a branch is the idea. He goes, and those kind of branches dry up, they're gathered up, and then they're burned up. That's huge. I'm staring at that this week going, why hasn't every new believer's class started with John 15, verse 6? Because, you know, the vast majority of us, we get saved because we don't want to go to hell. At least I did. You know, you get some hot message on don't go to hell. And God goes, I don't want to go to hell. We go, good. We should start him off with John 15, verse 6. Abide. Verse 5 and 6. Abide and you'll be fruitful. If you don't abide, that's where you'll lose it. And I'm not going to argue the point, but let the, let the text speak for itself. An, a branch that doesn't abide, that will not abide. Now, it is a branch. It is attached to the vine. It does not abide. It dries up and then it's cast out as a branch. It just lets me know that one time it was a branch and the next time it isn't a branch. And, you know, people want to argue this point about, you know, salvation. Can you lose it? There are so many verses like that. The guy was in and then he was out. And they go, well, it's false believers. No, no, he was a branch. He was really a branch, really attached to the vine. But that branch, it gets withered from not abiding. Not abiding, beloved. That's critical. We must abide. When you find believers that have backslid, that have left the faith, that have left the Lord, I would guarantee you the issue is this. They've not abided. That's why sin seems so, so enticing. That's why walking away from Jesus seems so, you know, just easy, just haphazard. Just, yeah, I can just leave Jesus. If you're abiding in him and his life is flowing in you, I tell you what, and fruit is coming, the last thing you want to do is to mess that up. If you've got the flow, the life-giving flow of Jesus flowing through you, you don't want to walk away from that. But if you're not abiding, you don't, you're not experiencing his flow of life into you. You're not experiencing fruit in the kingdom. You just dry up. You just walk away. Oh, beloved, that verse 6 is a scary verse. But it, it emphasizes the critical issue of abiding. It's key. It's key to staying fresh, to staying alive, to staying flowing. You must abide in him. If anyone does not abide, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. I, I'm not... In my human sentimentality, I'd like to make that different. It's not different. It is what it is. We should teach new believers how to abide. We should teach them how to pray without ceasing, how to meditate in the word. We should teach them about having conversations with God all day long, flowing and singing and worshiping. We should teach them about abiding. Verse 7. Verse 7 is unbelievable. I mean, amazing. I don't mean you can't have faith for it. I mean, it's just amazing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. What you desire. And it shall be done for you. That is a powerful prayer verse. There's about five or seven of them like that. Abide in me and my words in you. Ask what you desire and it will be done for you. 
Probably the, the only one that, that tops it is that, uh, that Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll just give you the desires. He just, you don't even have to ask. You ever had that happen where you just kind of, you know, you had a little something you desired, and you didn't even pray about it, and bam, there it was. That's Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and bam. It could just say that, couldn't it? Delight yourself in the Lord and bam. <laughs> Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires. He'll just give them to you. See, I think that, I think Psalm 37, 4 is one step beyond this John 15, 7. I think you abide unto delight. And things just start happening. Things just start happening. Well, here's where we got to start. We got to start with abiding. He goes, abide in me. Stay flowing, stay communicating, stay connected. Remain, stay in me. He goes, and let my word stay in you. And beloved, there is the key because as critical as it is for us to abide in him and stay with the life-giving source flowing in us, it's critical for us to have his words flowing in us Because the transformational power of the word, it changes our carnal desires. It renews our mind. It takes our mind off of me, 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 me. And it becomes you, 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 you. What do you want, Jesus? What do you, what's your pleasure, Lord? How can I love someone else? We're conformed to the image of Christ. That's the journey we're on. Conformity to the image of Christ is how do I lay my life down for you? Here's how it works. He goes, abide, stay flowing in the life-giving source of me and let my word abide and transform and change you and renew your mind. He goes, and then ask me anything. <laughs> Just ask me anything. And I mentioned last week, I mean, I don't know what your prayer life is like. You know, I, I, I'm excited about the testimonies that, that we see in the house of prayer and that I see personally when I pray for something and it happens. But I am not at the John 15, 7 level yet. I, I am not even close. I mean, I'm not even 50%. Th- this is 100%. Ask what you desire and it shall be done. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, I mean, just think about that for a minute. Just think about if you had 100% efficiency in your prayer life. You're batting a thousand. Everybody at your job would know you. Everybody. Hey, just have that guy pray and, and God will do it. It happens every time. I mean, it's just, you, can, can you imagine? Guess what? This isn't for one superstar. Beloved, this is for Believers. Those that are in Christ. It's for disciples. John 15, 7 isn't for the great apostle of the first glorious manifestation of God outbreak and the holiness movement of the end of the age, bridal paradigm, and end time power. It's for, it's for everybody. John 15, 7 is for everybody. Abide and let my words abide and ask what you desire. Ask what you wish. And it'll be done for you. There's there's three or four verses right here in this conversation from John 14 to John 17 where Jesus says almost the exact same thing. Stay in me, let my word stay in you, and you'll just ask and it'll happen. Beloved, this is where the church is going. The church will be one of the most powerful and formative groups that that the rest of the world will have to deal with before this age is finished. The world will understand, oh my goodness, they pray and it works, like every time. This is a prophecy. This is a promise and a prophecy that will come to pass. The bride operating in sync with the Holy Spirit, with the authority of the kingdom, with her will and her mind renewed and transformed by the word, dwelling in the word, dwelling in Jesus, Asking God to move and God manifesting power. This is our portion. This is where we're headed. 
And this is where the rubber meets the road as it relates to this, the word abiding in you. For years, all I ever did was read the Bible. I would read, 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 read the Bible through in a year, read my multiple chapters a day, whatever, whatever, and just, just pound through reading, 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 reading. And then after a while, I would read and paraphrase, read and paraphrase, read and paraphrase. And, and then I realized, I heard some teaching about meditating. And you know, the first time you ever hear a teaching on meditating, you go, oh man, that guy's new age. Meditating, new age. That's the devil. But that's not the devil, because the Bible talks about let the word of God dwell in you richly. <laughs> and that's all that is. Meditation isn't some, ooh, la, 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 la. I mean, it's not that. It's getting the word and going, okay, what is this thing saying? Let me just read this. Let me just chew this. Let me just read it over. Let me just pray this. Let me just stay on this phrase or these few verses. Let me just deal with this for a while. And let me not just run forward through as many chapters as I can to sort of mark the X in the box on my quiet time. Let me just deal with this verse today. And I'm going to tell you something. Meditation is the key to revelation. If you want revelation in the scripture, stay in a verse or two and meditate on it until the Lord begins to talk to you about it. And I think so often we're running through the verses so fast, it's like we're reading it, and every line you read, the Lord is like, he wants to give a little commentary, but we're on to the next line, and then we're on to the next line, we're on to the next line, and we're just blowing through the chapters, and it's almost like I can imagine the Lord going, hey, I just want to, and I'm here, there's a thought, I want to have a thought on that one, but hold up, back up, and he can't get a word in edgewise because we're flying through the chapter. Just trying to get an X in the box on our quiet time. Five chapters a day. Got to read my five chapters. Hey, I'm for us reading our five chapters. I, I don't, I'm not pitting that against meditation. You've got to read through the story and get the narrative. You've got to get the big picture. It's really, really helpful. But if you'll slow down and just read a phrase, I and you and you and me. I and you and you and me. Spend an hour on that. Deal with him in you. And you in him. Deal with it. Just let it just deal with you. This thing's alive. One little phrase, it'll blow you up. (laughs) This thing's loaded. And that's the key to abiding. Having the word abiding in us. It's meditating on it, letting it dwell in you richly, chewing on it. And, and, you know, Kirk Bennett is a good friend of ours. He has a little formula just for meditation. You, you, you sing it, you say it, you read it, you pray it, and you write it. Five things. Write it, read it, sing it, say it, pray it. That's it. Write it, read it, sing it, say it, pray it. And you just, you just chew that thing over and over and over, and then the Lord will start speaking to you about it. And man, that's, that's where the honey is. The honey isn't you reading it and understanding it. The honey is you reading it and God talking. The Holy Spirit becoming the teacher. You've got to slow it down for that. You've got to slow it down, read it slow, and allow that thing to dwell in you. That's how the word dwells in you. That's how the word abides in you. Meditation is what breeds revelation. And when you get to that place where the word is dwelling in you and you are dwelling in him, it's so powerful what he promises. Ask what you wish and it'll be done. We haven't got there yet, but we're going to get there. All right, verse 8. Now, verse 8 is tied to verse 7. He goes, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And so he's giving us now definition of how this whole thing works. He goes, I'm dreaming for you that anyone that will abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And here's how it's going to work. You abide in me, let my words abide in you, ask what you wish, it'll be done for you. And then in verse 8, he says, that's how you prove to be my disciples. By bearing much fruit. And he's, he's giving us definition to the bearing much fruit. is simply a lifestyle of answered prayer. This, in this context, bearing much fruit equals a lifestyle of answered prayer. 
It's the transformation of the heart, yes. It's the development of the character and the fruit of the Spirit, yes, it is that. But in this context specifically, us bearing much fruit is living a lifestyle where we pray and the prayers are answered. And he says two things happen. He goes, when you pray and your prayers are answered, number one, the Father is glorified. Here's the point. Good garden tells me there's a good gardener. My wife and I, my boys, we've, uh, we decided we're going to do a garden this year. I got out there and got a tiller and my brother was helping. My boys are out there helping. We're digging this thing up, getting soil in there, planting seeds, making rows. I had a hoe out there. I was doing it. And this thing's been going for a few months, man. My, my tallest plant's that big. I got nothing. <laughs> Half of it's no, Nothing. Like we put seeds in that ground. I know it. Let me see that, let me see that seed pack. I start reading it. It's supposed to be like two weeks. I supposed to see something. Half of it's go- nothing. The other half is like half yellow. I'm like, I know we didn't plant dandelions out here. Like, what is this? Bad garden, bad gardener. But good garden. Good gardener. We, we drive by places and we, my boys are like, look at that garden, man. What'd they do? Their stuff is like taller than us, you know. How'd they do that? I go, man, that guy must have knew what he was doing. <laughs> I think we might get a tomato. I'm rooting for one. Maybe we'll get a green pepper out of it. If it doesn't get stolen by us like a squirrel before we can get to it. But that, John 15, 8 is simply that. Good garden, good gardener. By this my Father is glorified. That you and I would live lives flowing with God, flowing in the word, and when we pray, boom, it happens. Oh, man. You know why I want a powerful prayer life? Yes, so my heart can be alive. Yes, yes, yes. I, but ultimately, I want a powerful prayer life so God can be glorified, so Jesus can be glorious in the city. I want people to go, what in the world? They pray and stuff moves. I want a real life in prayer so everybody will take note, not about me, about the gardener. I want the gardener to be glorified. Because if you'll, if you'll, if you'll abide, this is where it heads. God is glorified. And then the second point is he goes, and NKJV doesn't do a very good job with it. It says, Father's glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The other two, NIV and NAS, I always use those three, NKJV and NIV and NAS is the three chief ones I study from. But the other two make it clear. It's showing yourself to be my disciples. He goes, a, a powerful prayer life that bears much fruit, declares the glory of the Father, and identifies you as one of his followers, one of his disciples, one of my disciples. It tells everybody you're connected to me. I want that, beloved. I want that. I don't want the functional reason why people think I'm a Christian is because I don't cuss. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you're around the unbelievers. Oh, you don't drink. Oh, he's a Christian. No, I want him to be like, yeah, that dude is loaded because when he prays, it's like a bazooka. Boom! Back off. He's a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Our little impotent, I mean, I'm glad we're moral. Thank God we're moral, mostly. But our little, you know, the, the, the point isn't, they'll be goody two-shoes-ish and everybody will know they're Christians. The point is, they're going to blow stuff up. That's my little phrase. They're going to release the power of the kingdom. They're going to bear fruit through prayer and everybody will get it that they're connected to me. This is not just about being nice. 
This is about having kingdom authority and shifting atmospheres, moving things in the culture, moving things in the earth, shifting angels and demons, praying and watching things manifest in the earth, stopping demonic stuff, releasing kingdom stuff, having authority and power in the kingdom. That's what this thing goes to. And through that, God is glorified. And we get there, how? Through abiding. By this, my Father's glorified, and you'll prove to be my disciples. I mean, I'd love, I'm just, you know, I mean, I'm pained over it, but I've, I've, I feel it. You know, like it's, it's, it's moving in my soul. But I mean, if an atheist showed up and said, prove that God is real, I'd just love to just, you know, the prayer bomb. You know, just pick the target, man. I'm, I'm abiding in a loaded vine here. I can blow something up. You just tell me where, the, tell me where to aim it. You, I mean, you could shut down some atheists real fast. But because, come on now, let's just be real. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to me too. Because we're impotent. Because we lack authority. Because we don't abide. The argument with the unsaved and with the atheist becomes some cerebral banter back and forth and we have no offering of the spirit and power. Come on. We must abide. We want, why? To declare the glory of God. To point to fruit that's produced through an alive prayer life. This is foundational to a culture of prayer. And then finally, John 15, 9. It's just not even fair to even touch this verse right now, but I've got to include it just because this is the most formative verse that the Lord has ministered to me over the last 10 years. I've spent an entire series on this verse. And I know, I know it goes with verse 10 through 13. I know. If you were to dissect the chapter, I know, 9 through 13, they all go together. But I've got to wrap this up because John 15 so often is taught like Jesus is going, you got to abide. And if you don't abide, you're going to be cut off. And what's wrong with you? And that's not his tone. His tone is so tender. And 15.9 gives it to us in so sweet, such a sweet way. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide. Abide in my love. Beloved, that is the number one, that's the entry, that's the easy first step to abiding. You want to live a life of abiding, you can start with John 15, 9. And all you have to do is sit there and go, John 15, 9, Jesus, it says that you love me the way the Father loves you. Tell me. And he says, abide in my love. That's the last phrase, right? Stay in my love, right? So you can say this to him, tell me. Because I want to know the love that the Father has for you and the love that you have for me. So tell me. He goes, I love you. And you go, and now that last phrase, you told me to stay there. Say it again. And say it again. And say it again. And say it again. You know why we're so constricted? Why we're so like plugged up? We're, we're essentially, we're constipated <laughs> in our ability to release kingdom realities. It's because we're, 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 we're dying on striving. We're dying. We're trying to prove to God we're worthy to be loved. We're trying to hurdle the bar to show God, we're holy, watch, I'll show you. I'll just, I'll just be so hardcore and I'll prove to you that, that I'm holy and I really, really love you. And it's because we misunderstand what he says later. He goes, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he goes, but my commandment is to love. We completely missed the point. He goes, flow in love and love and stay there. And it's from that place of abiding that we stay connected and flowing in him. And I'm telling you, when you're flowing in love, your heart will come unlocked. The life-giving flow of God will flow into you and fruit will begin to be produced. And all of a sudden you realize 
kingdom activity is effortless. It's not all this striving junk. Shame-based, you know, uh, motivation. Hear me now. I'm landing with this. Shame-based motivation to the bride, demanding the bride to do things for God, or, or she should be ashamed of her lack, is not Jesus' mentality. His motivation was always love-based. Because fruitfulness, abide, abide, abide in my love. Man, we've gotten so you know, white knuckled. I'm talking about the I'm talking about the crew that's trying to like live for God. You know, we get so white knuckled and so uptight. And I'm telling you, He just wants you to know He loves you. He wants you to know it. Because if you know it, your heart will explode. Your heart will move. And all that constriction, all that striving, all that, you know, we're just working, working, working. It just leaves, and all of a sudden, in love, you just lay your life down. You just, you just flow in giving and in serving and in blessing. I'll tell you what. Evangelism became the easiest thing for me when I fell in love with God. I've always loved to evangelize. In fact, when I was a uh, freshman in college and I got born again, I went out every day with the campus ministers. We went door to door to door and, and talked to people about Jesus. But there was, there was such a performance mentality that I had. I was, it was like I was trying to gain God's approval the whole time. And God, he, man, you know what? He blessed it. He honored it. People got saved. It was, it was sweet. But when I fell in love, when I realized he loved me, all of a sudden... The love that he had for the lost was moving in me. And my heart was compelled by love. And that is such a difference, beloved. To be moved by love. So then when you meet somebody who doesn't know the Lord, you go, oh, what do you think about this guy, Lord? He goes, oh, I love him. Yeah, he's broken, but oh, my heart is moved for him. And now the whole Seen the whole approach, the whole mentality changes because you are bearing fruit through abiding rather than striving in some performance mentality. I'm telling you, flow in the revelation of the love of God for you and you will flow in abiding and if you'll flow in abiding, fruit will be born through you. That's where this thing has got to land. This can't, abiding can't equal another Christian endeavor you got to do. Abiding's got to equal this. He loves you. He loves you. Don't you want to come away with him? Don't, don't you want to spend some time with him flowing, with revelation moving your heart? Don't you want to understand what this means? As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Stay there. And I'll tell you this, I am all in favor of people staying there until their heart unlocks. Because if I can get somebody's heart unlocked in a revelation of love, you can't restrain them. You cannot restrain them. I want their hearts flowing and alive and love. And here's why. Because a lover outworks a worker 10 times out of 10. 10 times out of 10. And it comes from this place of abiding. Abiding bears much fruit. By that the Father is glorified. He proved to be disciples. Ask what you wish, it'll be done. He goes, and stay there in my love. Let it be the compeller that brings you to fruitfulness. Amen. All right, let's stand. The vast majority of my days for the last, I don't know, number of years, I've started them with John 15, 9. Because I don't know about you, but there's a, a lot of days I wake up and I don't feel so saved. I don't feel so loved. I don't feel so good. <laughs> Just, 
And I got to go, now what am I doing again? Okay, let's just start at one that I know is real, John 15, 9. You love me. You love me. And I, I've started, I mean, the majority of my days in the last number of years on John 15, 9 as the way that I begin to abide with him. You, you have your own verse, but this one has been the compelling one for me because it just boils it all down. He loves me. There's nothing I can do about it. He loves me. Nothing can separate me from it. He loves me. I can't be bad enough. He loves me. I can't be dumb enough. He loves me. I can't be short enough. <laughs> he loves me. I'm going to be 6'2 in the age to come, just heads up. Uh, but it's, it's the bottom line. My son went to the doctor. It has nothing to do with the message. Went to the doctor. They measured his hand. They said he's going to be 6'2". I said, man, how'd you do that? Then I got a little mad. Then I got a little happy. Anyway, abiding, 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 abiding. We've got to get our hearts unlocked. Get out of performance. Get into abiding. And from that place, let life explode through us. It's how it's supposed to work. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just worship the Lord for a moment. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I just want to pray for you this morning. If you need a revelation of the Father's love, if you need a revelation of Jesus' love, you'd say, I need that to compel me out of performance. I need that to move my heart again. I need the revelation that He loves me as the Father loves Him. I'm just going to ask the Lord to come and rest on you and release revelation to your heart. If that's you, just want to invite you forward.